Well, a couple days ago, some friends and I were talking and they actually asked me, they said, you know, preacher, do you think God cares about the new year? As if, you know, like God's up there and he's like, all right, y'all do whatever you want to at the end of the year. And then uh, come January 1st, start anew. Is that God, you know, and God cares about seasons. He marks the seasons and tells us there's a, in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3, very poetically, uh, that there are times for different things, for even what seems to be contradictory things. And God marks months and, and years and, of course, days. He's very aware of that. And I don't know about, you know, New Year's. Here's what I do know, that Lamentations 3 says, uh, his mercies are new every morning. And I'm, you know, whether it's the second day of the year or the 222nd day of the year, aren't you glad there's a God who gives new mercies every morning? So if you're looking for a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning, it's not so much that it's a new year because a calendar is a human construct, but it is because a God has new mercies for anybody open to those mercies. And so I hope uh, that you are as we begin a new year. Well, I want to begin this sermon today, and it's really both. It is both a sermon illustration and a church announcement. A couple of weeks ago, on a Monday, uh, Nick Crawford, my bro, he texted me and said, RG, do you have 30 to 60 minutes? I want to share with you some news. And it was my day off when he texted me. And if you know ministers, it's really hard for us to get. Uh, I look at a preacher's kid down front here. You know, remember your daddy? It's hard. It's hard. You're probably mad at your dad today, right? You carry any trauma, any baggage? Because your dad's a pastor and he wouldn't take time off to be with the family and stuff. But it's hard for ministers to get time off. But Nick knew it was my day off. He texted me and said, RG, can I have 30 to 60 minutes? Such a man of precision. And I knew because, like I said, because it was my day off, I knew the news would be big. And so I went to my office and waited for him. And he walked in. I could tell it was heavy. And he sat down with me. I could tell he had really prayed about this and, and uh, thought about it. And it just, it just weighed like a blanket. It was heavy on him. And he said, RG, I've taken another job. And, you know, if you, if you know Nick, a lot of you do, of course, and, and we walk in the wake of his wonderful leadership in his life. And uh, Nick was a lawyer before he became a pastor. And I've joked before that when he gets to heaven, God's going to be like, eh, it's going to kind of balance out, right, lawyer, pastor? And I thought, oh, no, you know, Morgan and Morgan or Richard Schwartz or somebody grabbed him locally. He's going back into the, into the law field. But he's actually taking a job with the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. And can I, uh, can I say to you that I am, and there's a, a variety of emotions that have and will go through me, and sadness will at some point come when we're saying goodbye to him weeks and weeks from now. But can I just tell you, I am proud of Nick Crawford. Uh, I'm proud of who he is, the, the leader that he is. And um, don't clap, we don't have time in this sermon for you to clap. Uh, but, but really I am, and just, just uh, so you know, uh, we're not close yet to saying goodbye to Nick. He's got weeks here. Tentatively, it looks like the end of February is probably when we'll have a time that it'll be a s- supportive and celebratory send-off uh, for him. But in that moment, I ask Nick two questions. I won't share with you what one of them is. It's kind of personal with he and I. But I asked him this question. I said to him, Nick, where do you most want to grow? He's taken a position as executive pastor at a great, great church that's really known, honestly, around the world. And Nick will have an important position there. And honestly, that makes me proud. And I'm really excited for him. But beyond all that, uh, and by the way, Nick, Matt Chandler is no Robert Green. Can I just say that? But uh, beyond that, I said, Nick, what, 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 what do you most want to grow? And here's what he said. He didn't miss a beat, which is like him. He said, without hesitation, I want my faith to grow. I want to grow in faith. Now, I told you a couple of minutes ago that this was both a church announcement and a sermon illustration. 
And here's what I want for him. I, be, I believe this. And let me, let me say this, slipping back to the church announcement. Uh, just so you know, this is, there is no scandal. There is no conflict. There is no backstory. This is a good thing. Like we celebrate this and Nick is excited about this and Kristen and the kids, but we'll commission them. We'll send them off because we've had a part in his life. We've had a part in seeing the work that God is doing in him. And Philippians 1, 6, we'll pray that over him. He who began a good work in him will perfect it, will confirm it and establish it and bring it about. And so we'll uh, have an opportunity to send him off and commission him to this new, new area. But I, I love the fact that he said faith. That he wants his faith to grow. Because you, you ever talk about spiritual growth? You, you, have you told anybody recently, as the new year begins, I want to grow. I want to I grow. Most of us, for the last couple of years, we just wanted to like stay alive, right? I just want to exist. But now we're starting to think, okay, maybe we'll get past some of this stuff. And I want to grow. But when you say you want to grow, what do you want to grow? Your beard, your hair, your to-do list. What is it that you want to grow? And when you look at the scripture, when you look at the centrality of Jesus and his teachings, you'll see when he talks about growth, he talks about faith growth. You see, Nick was on the money, and I want to ask you today, whether you're staying or you're going, and sometimes it takes just as much faith to stay and to be faithful, but whether you're staying or going or whatever God has for you in a new year, are you wanting your faith to grow? Real fascinating when you get into the Bible in an in-depth way. And uh, in the Greek language, there's this word. Let me put it up here. It's pronounced thalmazo. And it, uh, y'all say that out loud just to stay awake in this uh, gloomy sun. They say thalmazo. It's the Greek word. And here's what it means. I put it up. To marvel or to stand amazed. And it's used frequently in the scripture. One of my favorite places is Matthew 7. It talks about Jesus. And it says they were thalmazo. They were amazed at his teaching. They marveled at his teaching because he was one who spoke with authority, not as the other. In other words, he had a passion. And we learned even in the context of that uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, what was different is he preached with passion. And he preached not so that people would learn information, but so that they would lead changed lives, that it would affect them that they would have a living and an active faith. They were thamalzo. They stood and marveled and were amazed at his teachings. And uh, over and over, it's common that, that, that the crowd, uh, that this was their experience with Jesus, thamalzo. They, they stood, they were amazed, they marveled at Jesus. But check this out, y'all. Twice and only twice uh, in the gospel recordings do we see Jesus was thalmazoed, where Jesus stood and was amazed. Let's look at him quickly. A lot of scripture today, Mark 6, 6. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He was thalmazo. He was amazed at their lack of faith there in Nazareth. Luke 7, 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him this is the roman centurion and turning to the crowd following him he said i tell you i've not found such great faith even in israel so this is a contrast but two things jesus stands back and says wow at two things in the scriptures one is when they they believed uh, even though they didn't have really reason to believe and the other is that they disbelieved when they had a lot of evidence that they should believe. And so this idea of faith, do you want to grow in your faith? Jesus, it's the thing that he praises. It's the thing that turns him away. You know, the writer of Hebrews would famously say later in Hebrews 11, that without faith, it's possible, impossible 
to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, faith is a very funny thing. You hear me preach it often, but you think about like Paul writing to a a young guy that he discipled and he sent to plant churches and be involved in the spreading of the gospel. He says in 2 Timothy 1.12, where does faith fit into this? He says, for I know whom I believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him against that day. What day? The final judgment day, any day, any adversity, anything that comes his way. I'm, I am fully convinced for I know and I'm persuaded. How persuaded are you, Paul? Fully persuaded. Do you have that kind of faith? Sometimes I do. But the same guy who said that was also the guy who said, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. In fact, he would say in this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you know, the love chapter, he would say, we just right now, we just see through the glass dimly. It's foggy. We don't know for sure. Now, that's the same guy. And sometimes I've been there before where I'm just fully convinced and fully persuaded. Isn't that where you expect a preacher to be all the time? But sometimes like Paul and everybody who lives on a spiritual journey, I'm over here. Well, I don't know. There's just too much. It's over my head and I can't see clearly. And that is faith. Consider Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there, this kind of is uh, our passage today. Romans chapter 8 verses 24 to 25 I'm not going to give you time to get there. Here it is on the screen. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is not seen, I'm sorry, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So keep that up there. I know I'm talking about faith and here it is hope, but it's the same idea as I think you know. I love the question. Isn't isn't this great? Very philosophical, but it's practical. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. You see, if you see something, you don't have to trust God for it. How much of your life is built on that reality? You know, if I don't see it, you know, every conversation maybe that you're in, every conversation that I walk up and overhear because I'm an eavesdropper, is we're all talking about our safety and what's happening, what's the latest variant and all that, you know, and all that can be good. I, 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 by the way, I don't think it should be every conversation we're having. I'm just throwing that out there. But it's like, it just dominates. Our, and so if we're not careful, everything is, you know, everything's what we see. Everything's empirical. And I'm a fan. If you're new or you're at home tuning in for the first time, listen, give me a shot here because people know I'm a fan of both the Scripture and I'm also a fan of science. And I do not see a contradiction between, between my faith, a solid, credible, substantive faith, and, and science. But listen, when we think that it's all what we see. And here's the thing. Paul is writing. And Paul is saying to us, hey, if you're just living by what you see, it's a tiny, terrible existence. Because faith says to us, it summons us to a bigger and better world. Somebody needs to hear that today. Faith summons us to a bigger and better world. Several years ago, I changed the way I preach. It was very subtle. I don't know if anybody noticed it. And the goal was not for it to be noticed. In fact, the opposite. But I tried to stop a lot of the should have, should have, should have's. Now, I don't mind, you know, ruffling some feathers and rattle some cages and, and uh, being used by God to bring some conviction in people's lives. It's, it's not that. But I, I want to move away from this. You should, you should, you should, you should, you should. Because isn't there enough guilt in the world? 
Isn't there enough people pointing their finger and telling you what you should do? And that's kind of a weight in and of itself and, and not terribly motivating. Can we say that? It honestly promotes legalism as much as anything. But moving away, I, I, I purposely mo- moved away from the should, 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 you should, you should, to the look at this invitation that Jesus gives. And it doesn't constrict or limit your life. In fact, just the opposite. Because if you just live in this area, what we're talking about today, Romans 8, 24, 25, talking about hope, talking about faith, talking about living, growing, and when we grow, our faith needs to grow. When Jesus talks about growth, when Jesus stands amazed, he stands amazed at people's faith or their lack of faith. If you don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. And as I said, the writer of scripture is so beautiful. It's this certainty. It's this fixed, static ironclad certainty but yet at the same time without contradiction it's this we don't know it all we don't see it all and so we walk by faith not by sight but I fear that too many today hearing this are just walking strictly and solely by sight here's a picture of an African impala this is a beautiful creature found in a couple of a few different continents but Africa it's pretty dominant and this, uh, I don't know what your vertical is today or if you got a New Year's resolution to improve your vertical jump. But uh, this, this guy can jump um, 10 feet on just one, I mean, just jump. Standing there, the Impala can jump 10 feet. Pretty impressive, huh? And it can jump out 30 feet. So a vertical of 10 and a, a, a horizontal of 30. That's pretty impressive, right? Uh, maybe the greatest among all of the creatures. But here's what they have discovered, that if you put an African impala inside a fence that's only a few feet tall, the impala is caged in. What? Are you kidding me? You, dude, you got a 10-foot vertical. You got a 30-foot horizontal, but you put a 3-foot fence and you, in front of you. And you the, the African impala will not jump. Its feet will not land in a place it cannot see. This beautiful creature, now I don't know a lot of people, by the way, are putting fences around impalas, okay? I don't recommend it, okay? But this, this has been done, so, but here's what I'm saying. That can be you. And if any conviction is falling, hey, let it today. Because if you're just living by sight, if you're just going with the empirical data, if you're just going with what, can be, what you can taste and hear and see and smell and know empirically, Good for you in the realm of science. But you're missing. It's a tiny and terrible world and a bigger, beautiful world exists outside of that. But it must be a life of faith. Hey, let me stop a second. What role does faith play in your life? In what ways do you want your faith to grow? We'll get to watch Nick over these months and years. We'll get to hear from them. I'm sure I'm going to go to Dallas and he'll get me Cowboys tickets and I won't have to get a hotel room, right? And we'll see how Nick has grown in his faith because that was the answer to his question. So I'm going to keep him accountable. But what about you? How will you grow in your faith? Are you willing to jump into a place where you don't know? I'm not asking anybody to be foolhardy. I'm not asking anybody to take some risk that doesn't honor God. But now more than ever... In our age of extreme fear, where are the thrill seekers? Where are the risk takers? Where are the misfits? 
Where are the bold adventurers? Where are the people that are saying, I want to step out and I want to go and I want to make a difference? Whether it's going or staying, I will say it again. Sometimes, and the call on many people is to stay. And sometimes you can go better by sending and praying and staying and going occasionally. But whatever it is, in what ways in your life are you caged in because of your lack of faith? So Jesus would teach, Matthew 7, 28. They were the milezo at him because they stood back and they marveled because of his teaching. And this is what I think stands out about his teaching. It's brilliance, yes. I'm reading a book now by Erwin McManus called The Genius of Jesus. He's brilliant. But what I love about him is he said, here's what you got to do. You got to hear and then you got to do. And that's really the breakdown. That's, that's the breakdown in every area. If you study science or medicine, or if you study uh, diet and exercise, fitness, if you look at your New Year's resolutions now and then the end of the month or the end of February or whatever, like that's the big breakdown. A lot of people know, but few do. And Jesus would say, here and then go do. This morning, quickly, I want to give you five verbs because faith is a verb. Remember what the brother of Jesus would say? Faith without works is? Faith without works is dead. And Jesus would say, and what he desires in you is that your faith would be living and that it would be active. That you would hear him and you would do the next thing. I've said this before, but it reflects my pastor's heart. We want the grandiose call and vision of God on our lives, don't we? We want to wow others and we want there to be, a, you know, we put a fleece before the Lord and we want there to be some type of, you know, um, extra added measure to the calling and work of God in our lives. But can I tell you, we don't run and do cartwheels about this, but you know, God works in the mundane and the ordinary. He wants you to be faithful, not famous. And he wants you to take the next step. And you know, around the room and at home this morning, there's a lot of different next steps for us. Your next step may not be my next step. My next step may not be your next step. Your next step, if you're with a loved one today, it could be very different than the person you're sitting next to. If you're married, your next step and their next step should complement each other. Can I tell you that from experience? But, but we all have this next step. And it, I just don't know that it should be grandiose. Maybe it is. I don't want to limit God in your life and what he's doing, but it's just the next step. So what's the next step? I want to give you five verbs from scripture. Jesus used all of these words in various places throughout, but I want to give you five and get you to think about them. And for you, the next thing could be one of these. It could be something that's close to it, parallel to it. Here's, here's the first, under the realm of faith. It's follow. Look at a few verses here. I told you we give you a lot of Bible today. The rapid fire on the screen. Here's what Jesus would say in Luke 9. This is quite famous. Then he said to them all, whoever, this is when he started thinning the crowd. <laughs> whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's a sermon. That's a sermon series right there. Next, John 8. But G, when Jesus spoke again to the people, uh, we were just in here, what, 10 or so days ago, lighting the candles at Christmas Eve. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Whoever follows me. Jesus knew that we follow him, that we follow others and other things into darkness. And lastly here on follow, John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Leave that up for a moment. My sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
You ever thought that, um, thought about this, there, there are no wild sheep? You've never seen a wild sheep. You won't see really a wild sheep unless something's gone crazy. Wild dogs, wild boar, wild horses, but not wild sheep because sheep need the shepherd. A few years ago in a village in eastern Turkey, the lead sheep went off the cliff. And what do you think the other sheep did? Wouldn't you think that at some point one of the smarter sheep would have said, I see everybody going over the cliff, but I don't see anybody coming back. Maybe I should pause and reflect on the direction of my next steps. Now make that analogous to the human experience. Uh Uh-oh, because here we go. Because if we're not careful, and we've had this some finger pointing name, I'm pointing my finger at y'all now, but we've had some, some name calling, some finger pointing. If people subscribe to a certain policy or procedure and related to this pandemic, then we call so, you know, one side's calling one side sheep, another side's calling sheep or whatever. But look, the scripture says we all are. And in this, like so often, knowing my own heart, knowing the, the own path of my life, and when I've got, gone astray, knowing and what I see as a pastor, and loving and leading some of you. It's just amazing looking at the culture at large. We just follow and we don't look ahead and say, what's the outcome of that? You know, because we're being lied to, can I tell you? Like there's a, there's a truth of God that stands out, but we're being lied to. And there's tons of sources. We have more sources of lies than ever before. And we follow the lies and we follow the lies because it feels good in the moment. It sounds good. And we follow I'll be exhausted and burnt out and hurried and depleted because everybody else is. That's the way you live. That's the path to happiness and productivity and promotion. I'll just do that without thinking and pausing and reflecting about going off that cliff. I'll be involved in a dangerous habit. I'll feed that temptation, that addiction. I'll neglect God. I'll neglect what matters most. I'll just follow the other people that are going that way without pausing and reflecting of what is the outcome of my current way of life. And it's hard on your ego today, and some of us have bigger egos than others. And it's hard, it stings the ego. But you are a sheep, and you need a shepherd. And a life of faith is for you to say, I will follow. I will allow your words to give guidance to my life. I will experience conviction even though I feel bad in the moment so that I can be better in the long run I'll hear your voice I'll follow you there is I don't know if you know this um, there is a national toy hall of fame anybody got anybody getting new toys for Christmas there's a national toy hall of fame it's kind of cool google it uh, not now but after the sermon it's really cool what's in there and uh, look at it your list depending on your age and look and see how many toys you have or had that are on that list. Um, and these are toys that, that transcend just, you know, a few years or even decades. It's really cool. National Toy Hall of Fame. Here's a toy that's in there. Anybody have these Tinker Toys? I had the 30 model, 200 piece Super Builder Tinker Toy set. And here's what I learned in, in reading this week is that you would think, that, you know, every child now is walking around with you know, some level of microchip entertainment in hand, okay, that they're addicted to, that's affecting their brains. 
and uh, that, that's kind of where we are. But oddly enough, even in a microchip handheld age of entertainment and diversions, Tinker Toys are still popular with children. Children still like Tinker Toys. Children like Tinker Toys because children like to tinker. But you know what? So do adults. I was reading um, sort of a, um, a take on the, the young generation. And the writer described them as tinkering. Uh, we have a whole generation that's tinkering through life. Now, if you give your child tinker toys, uh, they will tell you child uh, pediatricians, and we've got a couple in the house, pediatricians and child development experts will tell you that these kind of toys are good, can be good for the brain. It teaches things about, you know, fine motor skills and spatial intelligence and movement and, and play with others and creativity and other things that a child needs. So there's good to it. And there's good if you tinker with life. I have a saying, ask the staff. I say it all the time when someone's stressing out. But hey, everything's an experiment. You know, we make a decision, we got to do this, but hey, everything's an experiment. It may work, it may not work. We do our best. Everything's, relax. It's an experiment. So tinkering in light of, you know, life in experiment, that's, that's a good thing. But when you, all you do is play with tinker toys. And this writer was talking about how this young generation, he, he's concerned in contrast to older generations, but just that we're tinkering. There's a generation that's not growing up. Do you know that adolescence is being continued longer than it used to be? The, the decisions that we would look at and say, this is maturation. This is adulthood. These are thresholds that you need to cross. They're, every one of them are being crossed much later in life than they used to be. And we're tinkering. We're tinkering with jobs. We're tinkering with church. We're tinkering with doctrines. We're tinkering with lifestyles. We're tinkering with choices. We're, we're tinkering and we're tinkering and we're not growing and we're not maturing. And here's what I want to say to you. I'm all about play. I'm all about experimenting. I'm all about relaxing and going, hey, hey, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. Ask her. She's married to me. I'm all about that. That's kind of in me naturally. But what I appreciate about following Jesus is there's a certain voice in our lives. And there's somebody that gives us a north star to follow. And his way is wiser than the ways of the world. And he gives me a purpose. And so when you tinker in life and you keep, your, you keep going, you'll notice inconsistency. You'll notice immaturity. You'll notice an instability. And I think about the words from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, but to be steadfast and movable, always abounding. That's faith. And that's following Jesus. To what extent do you follow? To what extent do you hear his voice and then act on it? We're called in faith to be followers of him. The second word that I want to give you, and I preached on it not too long ago, is the word abide. Remember anybody here, we talked about abiding and abounding. So I'll be brief on this. But John 15, 5 says this. It says, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, a lot of life is knowing who you are and who you're not. Just knowing who you are and knowing who you're not. And here Jesus again defines the relationship. Who are you and who are you not? You are the branches, that's sub-vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Again, he wants to be real clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide, abide. All right, show of hands. How many of you, uh, you, you got a real Christmas tree this year, like the real thing? You, you went out and you cut it down or you bought it? Okay. Anybody just go and cut it down? Like we went to the, um, 
Anybody trespass and do it illegally? Anybody today? We'll have an invitation in just a few moments. Real tree, okay. Uh, real tree, uh, artificial tree. All right. I'd say that's somewhere close to 50-50. I can barely see you guys. Real tree, Mark? Artificial? Artificial. Mark and Tracy Dunn up there in the balcony. I can see. Okay, artificial tree, real tree, whatever. Let's go with the real tree crowd. Or if you artificial people this year have had, you know, the reality of the real tree. You go and you cut it down or you go to Whole Foods or somewhere and you buy a tree out front and you take it to your house. You don't think about it at the moment. And I don't want to, you know, Debbie Downer. We're coming out of Christmas, not going into it. So this hopefully won't uh, depress anybody. But you think about the Christmas tree. That thing ain't lasting long because it's already been cut off from the source of life. But what do you do when you bring that real Christmas tree home? You pull it into the living room. You're probably irritable at, uh, with your loved ones, right? And uh, you're not living in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. You pull that, that tree in the living room. You stick it in a stand. And then you decorate it with lights and ornaments and stars and tinsels. And it is a thing of beauty because you worked your way down low and you put water in the bottom. And so you're going to water that tree for the next 30 days or so. And so it has some, some remnant of life. But look, you're about to, after a little while, that thing's, it's going to turn brown. I mean, everybody has gotten rid of their tree, right? Okay. Well, our staff came in, we had a wedding this weekend. So some like the groomsmen were pulling trees off uh, the stage uh, before the wedding on Saturday. And then our staff came in 15 minutes early to kind of take care of things to move past that. But the tree gets taken out to the curb and the trash guys, they come and get it. But what happens between that time? That time when you pick it out and bring it in and it gets carried out, it's just got seasonal beauty. It's got the lights, it's got the ornaments, it's got the stars, it's got the tinsels. But that tree at its core, the things that give it its fruit and its fragrance, the, the beauty of its leaves, um, the texture of its bark, all of that uh, is fading fast because it's cut off from its source. And coming out of Christmas season, that's a picture of us. We are the tree. And too many of us are not living lives of faith. Too many of us, are, we're not, we're anxiously striving and we're not abiding. We're cut off from the source. I want to ask you to think about that. Is your life, are you propped up and looking beautiful, but you've got no real source for long-term sustainability? Think about your life in relation to your source, to the source of life. When you're impatient and irritable with others, when you're like Psalm 55, I was reading that yesterday, when you're like the, the, the psalmist in the 55th chapter, you are overwhelmed. When things are going well and it's a high and you feel blessed, think of your life in relation to being connected or disconnected from the source of life. And a life of faith says, I will abide. Can I tell you personal testimony? Men, the people closest to me know when I'm starting to fake it and pretend and I'm living, I've got, I got, I'm propped up like a beautiful tree. Uh, I'm not talking about my physical beauty so much, although I am good to look at, aren't I? But when I, you know, I'm like, I'm given that aura of beauty, but it's just a season and it's, it's I'm like, I'm already starting to wither and fade because I'm not connected like I need to be to the source. You know, the world is crying out for people who have faith. The world is crying out 
for people who will follow Jesus. The world is crying out for people who abide and who will be real and who will have a deep spiritual life. And that can be you. The third thing I want to say under the verb of faith, the third verb under that is to build. In Matthew 16, you know it. Um, Matthew 16, Jesus and Peter talking. And remember, Peter had this just prodigious sin of denial. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 11 years ago, I remember being at a party with Susan and people were excited, uh, uh, some friends of ours, that we were going to start a church. We were hoping a few of them would come join us and give money to this new venture. But uh, we didn't know. And we were, you know, uh, she was um, scared to death. And, and to be honest, in, at, that, at least at that party, I had a little bit of swag. I was just excited. And I remember thinking, I'm going to build a church. And, uh, you know, anybody remember Bob the Builder? Can, that theme song, Bob, can he fix it? Yes, he can. And I had a little bit of spiritual Bob the Builder in me. Like, you know, I was going to just build a church. And can I tell you, after 10 years, I can't build a church. I don't want to build a church. If you're going to go somewhere and build a church, don't ask me to come build a church. I can't build a church. Can he build it? No, he can't. But here's the thing. It took me a few years. Did it take that long? Yeah, don't answer took me a little while to realize I don't have to build a church. I'm not supposed to build a church. He builds a church. So what do you do vocationally? Because like, you know, y'all remember this is my job. So I'm really invested here. <laughs> I ain't going anywhere. I'm here. But I'm just saying, what are you building? Will you let Jesus do that? But here's the thing. He wants to build his church. And it's the one thing. Now, it's fallen in disfavor. And people are questioning, spiritual people are questioning if they should be here or be a part of it. Here's what I want to say. When it's right, come back. If you're here, stay here. Don't just attend church. Love the church. Give to the church. Serve the church. Here's one. Enjoy the church. Engage with the church. Participate in the life of the church. Worship Jesus with others in the church. Encourage the leadership of the church. Be a part of building. Because the easiest thing to do and the dominant thing in the world today to do is to tear down. But you are called in following Jesus and living a life of faith. And it takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith to do all those things I just suggested that we do. But that's the life that Jesus wants us to do. And it's a life that he will bless help build the church faith let's follow let's abide let's build two more real quick let's give in luke 6 jesus makes this promise that people get kind of funny about what does it mean what are the implications different theologians preach different things jesus said this let's go with jesus give and it will be given to you there's a promise he's given you a strategy for living by the way he's not just giving you a moral principle to wink at give and it will be given to you. Does anybody know that this is true? Can I tell you, Susan and I could stand up and shout, it's true. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, give. Now, do we preach that if you give blank, then you'll get blank? Well, we do, but we just, we're kind of fuzzy about what the blanks may be. But what I know is what the psalmist said, I have never, I've lived a long life, he said. I don't know if I can say that yet. But he said, I've lived a long life and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. In other words, 
I know this can get fuzzy, but God is a provider. And when you give this part to him, it's very common for people to say to me, I'm going to lean on you a little bit today. This is all in the invitation side of things. But I have people say to me, well, I can give my time. Well, I can give this. And we hold on to this. We hold on to the wallet. We hold on to the pocketbook. But why did Jesus talk about this more than anything else? Jesus who said this give and it would be given to you. When Jesus used this flowery speech, this poetic language that's so beautiful, so vivid, so inviting. When he, the same person who said this would also say in Matthew 6, he would say this. Don't live, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. There, there, do not store up treasure for yourself on earth. Now here's what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, do not treasure. Because you know, some people teach that. I've got a, a, I've got a philosophy section um, in, in my office, in my library. It's a couple of shelves of just philosophy. I like some armchair philosophy. There's a lot of philosophies that taught this. When Jesus was there in the, in the first century Palestine with the Greeks and the Romans and all that, there was a lot of isms and schisms that taught, hey, don't treasure don't desire. Desire is a bad thing. Now, if we say the word desire, you say we're impacted. If I say the word desire, what do you desire? Then that's kind of a negative thing. We, th- we can think, you don't, you don't have to be dirty to think, but just we sort of go to the flesh. We go to what's explicit. But desire, G- desire is good. Jesus knows, he taught this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasure. He didn't say don't desire because here's the thing he knows. He knows that you and I by nature are treasure seekers. So he says, Don't treasure things for yourself. Don't treasure earthly things. Don't let your heart get wrapped up in this world. And you, somebody needs to hear that this morning because your heart is wrapped up in the things of this world. Go into a junkyard in your mind's eye and think about that junkyard. You got it? You picture a junkyard? Go into that junkyard in your mind and you got all that stuff around there. But just think for a second, that junkyard Everything in there at one time was bright and not shiny and new. And Jesus is telling you, this is a, y'all, this is a strategy for living that we want to get right. And by the way, I say this on what we weave in time, we wear in eternity. Trust Jesus with your finances. You'll be glad that you did. Become a giver. Oh, you won't, you will not regret it. In the junkyard, it was all bright, shiny, and new. It was valuable to somebody, but it's there. And Jesus says, he doesn't say do not treasure. He says don't treasure the wrong things. Why? Because he t- some of you know this in Matthew 6. Because, the, because moths will eat it. And if moths don't eat it, rust will wear it out. And if rust don't, doesn't get it, thieves will come in and steal it. And if thieves don't come in and steal it, your greedy little kids will get it after you die. Jesus didn't say that last part, but he does want me to say that to you today. He, he told me. But Jesus is saying, don't treasure the wrong things. It will get you. Here's what Jesus also would say real quick in the same passage. And we don't think of it as like a a, a money and faith thing. But he would say this, the eye is the lamp of the body. What, What does that mean? It means it's really important how you and I see the world. And we need to attach worth to everything properly. Because the eye is the lamp of the body you see if if I look at what others have and what I don't have and I become envious if I look at people who are in need and I don't become generous if I don't look at God who is good and loving and kind and feel a sense of security then I'm not walking in light 
That's darkness. But the eye is the lamp of the body, and Jesus wants us to see things properly and what the worth of things are. Faith is a life of many things. Here are five verbs I'm giving you today. Follow, abide, build, give, and lastly, go. I don't have a verse that I'll throw at you. A lot of you know Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus does say go. And one of the things I want to repeat at least 100 times a year is that Jesus gives us the green light. If your life is passive, if you're inconsistent, if you're not decisive, if you're following the whims of your heart or the dictates of the world, Jesus wants to say to you, stand up, get up, awaken, O slumber, it would say in Ephesians 5, and go. So listen to me. Look at the world around you. I want to give you a challenge in 2022. Not trying to play up the new year, but it's a new year. So let me give you a challenge this morning. Open your eyes and see the world. Observe injustice. And here's the challenge that I want to give to you. I don't know if I have it on a slide or if I didn't send it in. Hold off for a second. Here's my challenge to you. In this new year, go, go, do secret things. Go do servant things in hiddenness. Make it a part of your life and go. I will say some of you are stuck. Some of you are stagnant. And maybe the best word is that you're stale. Your faith is not alive. And I don't know that it's my fault. I don't know that it's your church's fault. I don't know if it's anybody's fault you're living with. But I want to challenge you to live a life of faith. I want to challenge you as I am now. Using the words, one of the words of Jesus. One of these verbs that should be living and active and powerful in your life. Go. Be involved in doing. We have built um, academics in our country as a institution that's predominantly in a classroom. And we open up kids' craniums and we cram in knowledge. And we say, now you know and you are educated. But Jesus' form of education is that we would learn a little and apply it. Learn a little bit and go do it. Because when you, and I love how when Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70, like, and he didn't send them to school for four years. He sent the 70, and they saw some great things happen. He knew that. But they came back, and they rejoiced in the good things, but they rejoiced ultimately in the wrong things. They were rejoicing in demons being cast out, which is a good thing. Wouldn't everybody agree if you cast out demons? Less demons is a great thing. But they were rejoicing in their fruit. They were rejoicing in what they did. They were rejoicing in the, the, the fruit they saw. And Jesus was like, hey, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are mine. That was kind of odd that Jesus would say that. I think what he was getting at, like that in and of itself is a truth. But he was, he was teaching them, you just don't know a lot yet. And your, your success is going to trip you up. And the things that you measure, you're going to have the wrong metrics. And ultimately, let your identity be shaped in who I am. But let me tell you, you won't learn that unless you go. So as Lauren and the team come up, I want to ask you this morning about your faith. I started with this. I'll close with this. It's a church announcement and a sermon illustration. But when I asked Nick Crawford about the next steps in your life, he said, Robert, uh, to my question, I want my faith to grow. I am so proud of him. 
His faith is going to grow. I want to ask you about your faith. We're going to uh, not call you down front for any prayer or anything today, but we are in a moment going to have you stand. We're going to have you sing. And we're going to have, Lauren and I have kind of started calling these prayer prompters. And uh, these uh, things on the screen, will um, they'll be put up, and we're going to ask you to pray through them. To think through these thoughts, these are measured on my end to, to think, to have you think in this moment as we close today. To think about faith as a verb, not as an institution, not as an academic endeavor, not as a, a theological speculation, not as an argument in a debate, not as a contrast with science, but to think about faith as confidence, as trust. Because trust is at the core of every relationship. You know, the, the chief sin, the original sin for everybody for, for, for the, in the garden, and it affects us today, is this choice, do you trust me? And we've been living with that ever since. And when sin enters in your life, in your marriage, when someone violates trust, it's a harmful thing. Can it be rebuilt? I want to live my life where I am trustworthy. But let me tell you, God is the one. God is the source. He's the ultimate one that we can trust. He's the one who won't break it. How is your trust in Him? So think about these verbs, faith, all under faith, but think about follow, think about abide, think about build, think about give, think about go, think about your life, and think about what's next. Let me say this, there's power in every word if you practice it. There's power in it. So let me flip the switch today for a second, whether you're at home or in the house today, when you leave, just, just for today, we'll get back to regular programming later, but you know, you, you don't judge the preacher. Don't determine if you thought this was a good sermon or not. By the way, Nick was supposed to preach this sermon today, but he had a big wedding. I'm, I'm mad at you for that anyway. But listen to me. Think of these words. And think of your relationship with each of these words. And ask God to make it personal in you. Lauren's going to lead us. Let's stand and follow her in the screen. And uh, would, you, would you just do some business with God in the new year?